you have to be very intentional about what you're giving. And that's the good side of stewardship. It can train you in how to invest in people and in problems, not just to give money because you're emotionally manipulated. Welcome, everybody, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my delightful co-host, Dave. He stole my ego, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? Oh, my, that, that is the worst. He stole my ego. You know, you know the commercial, like, who stole oh, my yeah, ego? from the 80s, from the 80s. Is yeah, that still a thing? You're the one who stole my ego. Yeah, not really. Well, I think they're making a comeback with the whole uh, Stranger Stranger Things. She always eats the oh, eggos. Oh, so I didn't. Okay, I don't. I don't even know what that is. I just see people with t-shirts on. That's oh, you're the things. worst. It has the best soundtrack. I love it. Imagine uh, a Netflix series that's like of the '80s genre. Everything's '80s, from the oh, music, really? okay. the soundtrack, the setting. It's awesome. The hair, the clothes, <laughs> the lack of yeah. self-awareness. <laughs> awesome. awesome. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. What are you up to, Dave? Uh, well, a lot at the parish right now, you know, we're getting ready for Advent. I'm sure you're in that swing too. We, um, as you know, we're, you know, in the merger. So we're, we're actually in the official merger process now for the diocese. And so like pretty soon we're going to start choosing, choosing a name for the new parish. Okay. Which, which, you know, just seems crazy. And the campuses will always stay St. Alexis and St. Alphonsus, but the parish name will have like a new, yeah a new name. And, um, so we're so that's kind of exciting, but it's also kind of terrifying because, yeah. you know, there's a lot to do, and it's amazing because um, we have this huge executive committee at the parish, and they're all, I, I'd say most of them are very very successful business leaders or like very successful principals or you know they they all know what they're doing, and. Um, it's just it's interesting, man, walking that line between business and parish stuff, you know. Yeah, it's hard because it's so yeah, hard to navigate. Right. right. It, it yeah, it is. And it's like um it's it's kind of cool because, you know, these guys, you know, business is just so much more, let's say, uh totally like everything is above board as far as like reporting and stuff like that. And parishes, like they just never really had to do a lot of like reporting, constant reporting and stuff like that. And so like now that we're in and so this these guys have been pushing for that. They want like more yeah. transparency and everything like that. And I think that's great. But it's been a stretch and now that we're in this kind of you know the priest crisis era, it's awesome because it's a huge bridge of trust. Mm. So like they want to publish every penny that's spent. They want everyone to know what's going on. And at first I was like this seems like overkill, but now I'm just like, oh, this is great because everyone is going to see this as a bridge of trust, you know, because even I'm like, I'm not giving a penny to the church unless I know where it's going, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's and so, so hard. So, Peter's Pence is like the worst. Oh, I know. So I know. it's so dangerous. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. Uh, the more transparency, the better. And one thing that um, I've learned with working with the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, which is where my parish is at, like if you're doing a capital campaign, you're saying, hey, it's going for a building, it's going for this. And let's say it, it doesn't resolve itself out like the way you want it, like you don't raise enough capital. You can't just take that money and then apply it to anything else. Right. Like it has to right. be the same thing. 
right. you realize that once you make something public, it's it's in there. Like it, yeah. <laughs> it becomes the thing. So uh, yeah, so I do yeah. appreciate all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that is interesting, and that is a huge predicament for the churches in Pittsburgh because they did a big capital campaign, and now they're merging and closing parishes. So it's like, say they raise money for I don't know new stairs or something like that, and yeah. in next year the the building's going to close. It's like, well, what do you do then? You know, but you can't legally. You have to use it for what? So so that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not in charge of this stuff. I know. I'm so it's glad so I'm not a bishop, and that I just get to sit back and criticize the bishop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was talking with uh, a Latino member of our community. And we were talking about fundraising and the capital campaign that the archdiocese is having every parish do. And we're using it. You know, you can do these campaigns in different ways. And we're doing it in such a way that our parish can eventually build a building. So it's kind of like a shared campaign. And uh, it's super interesting and fascinating all all around. But um, she was saying, you know, in Mexico, where I come from, no one in a million years would be comfortable with a priest walking up and saying, hey... The church wants a million dollars. Give it to me. Really? Yeah. Ever, ever, ever. Every penny that is ever given for a fundraiser for the church is always tied to an event. So whether that's like a gala or a... Well, not not just events that are fundraising events, but like, hey, we're going to have a series of talks. And the tickets are going to be $20, even though okay. it's like me giving a talk, which should cost $5. You okay, know sure. that you're going to pay $20 because it's going to the church. Oh, or okay. or right. the, she was telling me that her parish priest, there's like bullfighting in their hometown. And oh he would just gosh. go to the bullfights with a bag uh, with the parish logo on it. And he would just say, instead of a beer, give the money to the church. And so people would, you know, instead of drinking six beers and watching bulls, get murdered they would uh throw in <laughs> cash money <laughs> they would throw in you know seven dollars or whatever or 30 pesos into the bag and this she's is like crazy and she said to me to have someone walk up and say even if it's the priest and say i want everyone to commit to giving a thousand dollars a year to this it's campaign different. wow they're wow. like it's not that they're offended they're just like why what no church is free Oh, yeah, right. Okay. And so that gets tied to the whole thing. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. That's wow, interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, 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 well, since we're on this topic, Uh-oh. let me get your opinion. Yeah. Uh-oh. So, um, I, I am not a big fan of like stewardship parishes. Okay. And because it just seems to me like, aren't, isn't it like it's doing the opposite of what we're meant it to do? Like, it just seems like we're asking for the bare minimum. Okay, like so for people down. that don't know, stewardship parishes essentially you disclose exactly how much you make a year and you give them 10%. And then typically those parishes are uh, you know, rock solid financially because you have if they don't cause so much scandal that people leave the church. Um, right. that people give so famously, I think the diocese of Wichita is in, has know. adopted the entire stewardship model and so like they their parishes are like you bring in your tax form and then what? they they tell you okay this is how much we expect to get from you and all your kids education is free so yeah like, i've heard of that yeah i've heard of that well yeah. so that's how they pay for it <laughs> right and, and well yeah. but but also okay so it's not just the money though it's so they do the time talent and treasure that's their right. thing right and it just, i don't know it just, i just don't 
I'm not a fan. I don't like it at all. And also, it just seems like priests who are really good at stewardship, like pitching it and everything. Yeah. Like it's it usually means that I mean I'm totally I'm totally generalizing here, but it usually means that evangelization takes a second second seat to this. Yeah. Like that that stewardship is the main mission of the parish and then evangelization after that. And I always think like, how dare you ask for someone's money before you've asked for their heart? Yeah. Like that's kind of the way I've always felt. It's the same way with youth ministry. In Pittsburgh, youth ministry is service. Like that's the way people look at it. Yeah. So like people will say to me all the time, like, can you just ask the youth group to like come and clean on this day? And I'll be like, no, like I'm not telling the youth minister to do that. That's not fair (laughs) until he's asked for their hearts, you know, like, so yeah, I'll say this. My biggest fear with any, um, stewardship, institutional fundraising, whatever, is that so often, so the whole concept of stewardship is meant to be an internal thing, right? It's meant to be like, no, this is you giving your life to right. Christ okay, and all this right. stuff. Yeah. But the problem is when stewardship uh, comes first, after evangelization and after discipleship, what that means is you want the results of discipleship because disciples give more of their time, they give more of their energy and effort, and they give more of their money, you're asking that up front of people who may or may not be disciples. So you run the risk of really alienating people for all the wrong reasons. But then on top of that, if 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 cash money is the incentive, then you're right, evangelization and discipleship will always necessarily take a back seat Second if you thing. ask for it first disciples right. give more they do right every i give more i think it's a priority of my life and but god loves a cheerful giver saint paul says that so yep. um if it's not tied to redemption and it's not tied to my own walk with christ it's just the right. thing i do because i'm a member here then right. i think that's where the danger comes in yeah and it you know i think what people don't realize like it's a it's easier to give money than it is to give your your whole life right and so it so it could be like someone getting off the hook yeah like we are like whoa 10 percent. and by the way do you know i didn't even know that 10 percent was like a protestant thing until seven years ago i had no idea i i grew up like my dad was always like no even like when i had allowance he was like well the first 10 percent belongs to god that's the way it always was and i and then like seven years ago my my pastor was like I was like, how do you think these little Protestant churches stay alive? And he was like, well, they tithe. And I was like, well, so do we. And he was like, no, no Catholics give 10%. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's I was awful. Like, oh, I had no idea. I didn't, I did not. Oh, know yeah, that. yeah. Catholics, Catholics, those who give, give about 5% if they give regularly. At wow. the most, give 5% to their local parish. But you got to also remember there's 500 other things you have to give to the, uh, the right. the diocese right. you you give right. to your Catholic alma mater you give right. to this or that charity right. and so if, if you're my you wife are... every envelope that comes to our house with a starving child on the cover <laughs> exactly exactly right. and so you have to be very intentional about what you're giving and that's the good side of stewardship it can train you in like how to invest in people and in problems not just to give money because you're emotionally manipulated. And that's yeah. how Catholics give money, and that's how Americans give money. And I tell people all the time, just because you see a commercial with Sarah McLaughlin music in the background, you know, <laughs> in the arms of the angels, and you're like, oh, my God, look at all these abused dogs. Take my money. Yeah. 
But they do that for Haiti, right? Hurricane relief, earthquake relief. And you see the sad thing, and then it's text this number to give $10. And you text, and you give the money, and boop, 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 boop. The problem is you're not in contact with anyone. And the other problem is it's so global, you lose sight of the local. So we don't know about the single mom who's hanging on by a thread at the end of our street, but we're exhausted by giving to Haiti where, I mean, God bless the American Red Cross, but they they spend like what is it like seven out of ten dollars yeah on right. just the overhead and what right. there is legitimacy in some of that but holy moly so my big thing is when it comes to stewardship you and i need to be dedicated givers um yeah. I, I one time was speaking at a catholic church and about 70 percent, just demographics 70 percent of that parish youth group was hispanic and yeah. they were there with their adult with their with one parent and a sponsor and it was a confirmation thing. And I said, listen, I know that the vast majority of this room now, maybe five years ago, it was the exact opposite, but 70% are Latino. I said, Latinos, can I just talk to you for one minute? Before, Okay, I was like, gringos, you guys just go look this at is, the wall or something. I was dicey. like, yeah, it was, it's very dicey. I said, <laughs> listen, listen, I know chances are statistically you feel like you're, you just use this place for the sacraments. Right, like you don't feel at home here, especially if you're a first generation immigrant. I want to tell you, you are welcome here. This is meant to be your place, even if they stumble and fall trying to do ministry. This is this isn't even my church, by the way. <laughs> I was just visiting, and I said, but you need to understand something for Gringos. We understand commitment by how you volunteer and how much money you give, because that represents a whole bunch of other stuff. It right. might not right. to you. I said, but that's the culture of this place. So if you feel like your voice isn't heard, there are two ways to get it heard loud and clear. Because the number one thing people say behind closed doors is those people don't give money and those people don't serve. They only come for the sacraments. And so, if you, yeah, right. I mean, I hear these conversations uh, everywhere I go across the country. Latinos are like, I want a better voice. No one's listening, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, when was the last time you volunteered? Well... You know, yeah. and I was like, so give your money. And then I looked at the teenagers and I was like, this includes you. And then afterwards, yeah. the youth minister was like, maybe we could have done without that. And no I, I probably had 20 uh, adult um, Spanish-speaking people. They came right up to me and they were like, hard to hear, but yeah, yeah, no, I see it. That's I, I understand. Okay. So I'm serious. It, it's all different. So Yeah, that, that is, that's interesting. It's weird. But today's yeah. going to be a good show. We got quick takes. Yeah. Yeah, quick takes. Yeah. Quick takes. Hey, so that means we're gonna we're gonna run through some emails today and get you know, kind of treat them not in depth in a way, but give them good answers and everything like that. Gomer, you don't you have an email to start us off? I, I have an email that's just a thank you email and I wanna show what this podcast is doing. So Gabby uh, writes, My name's Gabby and I serve at the community life and outreach chair at a small mission parish in Houston, Texas. Gomer, you probably haven't heard the name, but funny enough, it's also called Ascension. It's the Ascension Chinese Mission, the only Chinese Catholic church in Houston. And that, she's also that is so cool. I know. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, now, in Houston, we have a huge Vietnamese population, and there are three Vietnamese Roman Catholic churches here. But this is the only Chinese Catholic church. So she said, I just want to thank y'all for all that y'all do, and I want to thank you, Gabby, for writing y'all so many times. 
But more so, thank you for inspiring me to be more intentional and on fire for evangelization. It was just God's timing for me to hear about y'all from abiding together with the other Ascension podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she's one of the people that two weeks ago we got the shout out. She jumps on, starts listening. Now the Holy Spirit and I are becoming best buds. I've even prayed for patience at work. I've been prompted by the Spirit to take all my talents and make big movements for our small parish. We're also hosting a community-wide night of adoration, confession, and worship open to the entire A-Leaf community, which is the name of the town there. Father Richard is going to speak if you're in town November 22nd in the evening. That's when it's going down. May God continue to inspire you and give y'all courage and strength and y'all work and prayers. Keep up the good work, Gabby. I just I love that email. She oh, is stepping too. out dramatically in faith. Yeah. And yeah, my, my favorite awesome. part is her praying for patience. Because this is where the two different parts of our lives, the Jesus part and the daily daily grind part, become right. one. And that that is the fruit of evangelization right, right. there. So thank you, yeah. Gabby. Yeah, it's it's the uh, the epitome of the lay apostolate right there. I love it. I Woo. love it. All right, Dave. Cool. All right, I got one from uh, Father Andrew. This Father is, this is, Andrew had many yeah. sons. No, no. Okay. Not even close. Um, <laughs> so he, they're in the, the midst of uh, doing a strategic plan uh, for, their pa- for their parish. And I don't think he's the pastor. I think he's like the assistant pastor or something. And uh, they're working on it. And he's wondering if we could send him a discipleship track. Um, and he says, I admit, I have no imagination. I'm super new at all of this. And um, they, he'd love to show the strategic planning sessions something to make it concrete. So... Um, what, if you don't know what he's talking about, what, what we've talked about in many, many different episodes is every parish should have a, a well-oiled and well-advertised basically path of discipleship at their parish or plan for making disciples at their parish, right? Again, you know, I know you guys are going to kill me for making this analogy over and over again, but we're not a blender, right? That's not what we do. We don't throw a lot of good Catholic stuff into a blender and hope that a good Catholic pours out, right? Um, we have to have a strategy and a plan, okay? So uh, real quick, Father Andrew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you just my, uh, what I use, and, um, and what you'll see is that it's basically, you know, it's the case method, copy and steal everything, right? Um, <laughs> the, all the good organizations, all the big evangelizing organizations basically use some kind of, um, some form of what I'm about to say. And so we have four focuses in our in our evangelization discipleship plan. Uh, focus one would be pre-evangelization, okay? Pre-evangelization is about building trust. And what that what pre-evangelization means uh, for the new evangelization is that you're off your 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 parish is running well, okay? Meaning that calls are returned quickly, emails are returned finances are all above board and and, and well communicated uh, you have you have good hospitality it's it's things are accessible you're building trust with the community by being an organization that deserves that trust okay so that that's that's what we would call pre-evangelization and then you want to start doing things in the community that's part of pre-evangelization as well okay uh, focus two we call kerygma now the next three focuses we, we call kerygma catechesis and conquer okay uh, and for kerygma is what we're trying to do is foster an encounter with Christ, help parishioners to form a foundation of growth and discipleship by allowing for several opportunities to wrestle with the basic gospel message. Those several opportunities could look like this. Could be homilies. It should, well, should be homilies. Should be overall marketing of the parish. 
should be talks that you offer, should be Bible studies that you offer, and then it should take the place of like nights of encounter, like maybe through adoration, maybe through uh, almost like an altar call situation, right? You want to give them a chance to hear the basic gospel message and then to respond to it, okay? The next level would be catechesis. And in our, for me, we, we alternate between uh, dogmatic theology, moral theology, how to pray, and uh, and then we would I would call it like Catholic culture, okay? So we would have events based on all of those different kinds of things, maybe speakers, maybe series, maybe Bible studies, again, um, different ways that people can do it. Also through marketing, sending out videos, sending out books, uh, you know, book clubs in the back and stuff like that, okay? Finally, uh, the fourth focus would be conquer. So we have charisma, catechesis, and conquer. Conquer just means, um, first of all, that everyone is taught how to evangelize, how to give their testimony. Everyone is taught how to witness to other people, how to walk with someone along the way. Everyone is given a chance to stand up for the battle of our time in the pro-life movement. And then everyone at the parish can discern kind of like where God is calling them in their use of charisms. And in particular, in the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, okay? How your parish is going to respond to that. Now, What's important about this is that it's a cycle for us. So we run things continuously into each other, right? So Kerygma would run into catechesis, catechesis into conquer, and you'll have people who naturally put themselves into one of these levels, right? So there are some people who are going to say, well, I'm a beginner. I'm going to go to a Kerygma event. Some people are going to say, I really love the intellectual side. I'll go to the catechesis event. Some people love the social aspect of the church, right? So they're going to put themselves right into conquer. So what you want to do is your plan needs to be explicit about how to get people to work through the entire cycle, okay? And so you're going to run this cycle throughout the year and just continually work on getting people to this kind of track, right? And and really uh, work on your, your staff and yourself on how to recognize when it's time to try and call someone into the next level, right? A lot of times it just happens naturally. They do what they, they want to do or they kind of bounce around from one to the other. But uh, it also kind of is going to have to be explicit on your end as to, you know, how, how do people know when to start deepening uh, their understanding of the faith? When do they when do they know if they should, you know, go back to the kerygma phase because they maybe don't have that foundation to be able to understand the deeper aspects of our faith? Uh, and when when to push them out of the nest, the conquer part. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll put this on my website and link to it in the show notes, and I'll also send you a copy of what I used for our strategic planning uh, sessions uh, to sh- to kind of convince our team at our parish. But we'll be praying for you, Father Andrew, because uh, it's important. It's good. You're you're doing good work, thinking strategically about discipleship and not just how to keep the doors open. Yeah, and it's awesome because if you don't think about Category 1, getting people on board, and Category 3, sending people out into mission, no one else will. No one else will. As Jeff Caven said to me years ago, all the money is in catechesis and formation. It's not in, like, evangelization. It's not in creating missionaries. You know, and and you know, although now we have the ninety nine from Ascension Press that hopefully starts doing that for parishes, but the whole idea around this, right, is you have to be the advocate. It ain't gonna happen without it uh, in in terms of the local parish. So I, I always tell people, um, if people aren't in the restaurant, they never complain that the to the waiter that the music is too loud. It's only the people right. who are already there right. in the pews, right? Right. So 
Uh, all right, second one we have is Mo. Dave, I love this one. I love this one because I don't get it at all, at all, at all. It's an <laughs> introvert evangelist. Gomer and Dave already blaze in Van Vickle. I love your Godcast, and while ideally I'd be out there evangelizing others just as energetically and knowledgeably as you two, I am an introvert. So anything beyond a one-on-one -on -one conversation is way outside my comfort zone. Your prayerful, practical tips are perfect for me. But ones which are human interactive are a massive stretch. That's why people tell us they hate them so much. The way I would could evangelize seems vastly different than how you do it. Do you have any evangelization practical tips for introverts? So far, I found that God makes me comfortable enough to hold doors and greet people at church events. But I'm mostly comfortable in roles that are behind the scenes, looking for ideas on how to spread the good news in a way that fits how God made me. Any thoughts? Keep spreading the world Keep setting, spreading, keep setting the world on fire. Oh, Mo, thank you so much. I love this one, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so I know Mo and her family. Oh, is really? Kill, yeah, is killing it in Pittsburgh. Like they're, they're, a bit of, they're awesome. So they're an awesome evangelistic <laughs> family. And she is too. She has a blog that's really good too. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> that's so, awesome. That so makes me thing, so happy. Yeah. The thing is, is that I think, I don't know. I think I've mentioned this before. Like people... Like I am extremely, extremely introverted in the in in the sense that, like, I you I want to like yeah right. <laughs> I mean that's I mean let's just say it. Let's just go out and say it. Right? If it's not your like wife it, or kids, you kind of right, hate like, them already. <laughs> yeah, I mean like I mean like I I talk to Gomer during the week, and other than that, I'm pretty much a hermit. No, no, I <laughs> you share the I, good news, hoping they'll reject it, so you don't have to see them right. for all eternity. I just want right, heaven to be so. empty. It's just going to be me, my wife, and a my beer. books and my books, <laughs> and <Yeah>. my books. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of understand where Mo's coming from, and and I can understand that like the 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 one on one conversations can be exhausting. But I also want to say that, like, I think that's, you know, like the one like you said, you're comfortable with one on one, but anything more than that is too much. Like one on one is where real evangelization yeah, I was, happens. I was gonna you say know? you're good. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're good. Right. I mean, you you probably in a year. If you're just evangelizing people one on one, probably evangelize more people than Gomer and I do. Yeah, honestly, because the people who we go to, I mean, they're they're already evangelized. If somebody's going to come out to hear me, are you kidding me? That person's probably a saint, you know. Like why? You know, they they just don't leave their house on a Wednesday night to hear someone like me. So <laughs> it's it's the one on one conversations where it happens. So that's good. And also, I would say that like. There's a lot of cool stuff going on with like I don't know if you've ever heard of Catholic creatives. Love like, that group. Yeah, see I I want to be like part of them. Like I want to be cool like the Catholic creatives. So oh, you bad. didn't get an invite to their private party no. in April? No, I oh, definitely did. That's a I definitely shame. didn't. No, I, did. I would love to though. And I'm so sad that I'm not part of it. And it's in Dallas yeah. too where you're from. Oh, yeah. dude, that's a double whammy. I know. I feel I feel really bad right now what you're doing to me. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and our but, producer is related to the two brothers I know. who put it on. Aww. I know. I know. I know. But, but, but my yeah. point is, is that like evangelization <laughs> traditionally in the church has taken so many more roots than it does now. And I think like right now uh, evangelization is, is in like we're in desperate need of evangelists. And so it's taking a much more, like just right out there, bringing the gospel straight to people's faces, and that's what needs to happen. 
But traditionally in the church, right, like it was about infiltrating cultures. My point is, is that in the culture, right, I mean, uh, infiltrating the culture and and starting to produce good work, good beauty, good art, good all that kind of thing, right, that is evangelistic as well. And, and you have to realize like what God is calling you to. He's not going to call you to something he didn't create you for. Yeah. And let me just say this. Um, we have to stop thinking of evangelization as doing a podcast or as as being uh, a speaker as that being is a the speaker. worst thing ever yeah people keep thinking that and they, well i can never be you i can never do this okay you're not me but so little actual evangelization occurs from the stage like when i do a Supervillain youth conference stuff and dave has heard some of my talks i f- i i have 30 bible verses and all this stuff that I'm giving to kids and weaving the curriculum through every single talk that I do, right? And if the, if, the, if the word of God is a seed, spreading that in the midst of a crowd of 6,000 or 4,000 or 2,000 or 500 or even 50 or 20 in a classroom, it feels like evangelization because you're talking about God, but the right. audience, mo- as Dave said, already gets it for the most part. You know, you're clarifying that you're doing more teaching than preaching in those circumstances, but it's the people who already have made an explicit act of faith. So you are right where you need to be. Um, My only other thing is for introverted people, hide behind your computer screen. And apparently Dave already knows, Mo, that you're doing that, right? The online world can become an introvert's paradise. You create a fake name, <laughs> right? And you go out there and create the content that you feel like is missing. Even if you do it terribly, it's better than it not being done at all. And maybe you'll inspire someone, one of these Catholic creatives who can come up and make a beautiful thing, but you were the one that gave them that idea. Don't worry about anything more than one-on-one. The best work is done one-on-one. Yep. So God bless 100%. you, Mo. Thank you for writing in. Uh, we got another question. This is a big one. You ready, Dave? Is this Annie? This is Annie. All right, let's do it. Now, I like Annie a lot. I know Annie. We're Annie's probably going to have to do our own episode on it, just so you know. We might. We might. We're gonna, yeah. we, got, yeah. we got about eight minutes, Annie, to answer this question. So we're going to swing for the fences on this bad boy. I have been diving into the back episodes of the podcast this week, and I'm loving it. Bam. Great work. Keep it up. There's a reoccurring observation that comes up in multiple episodes about how to handle topics of morality, especially sexual morality gasp when evangelizing. I think it is a great point. Why get hung up on the details when they have not yet encountered the truth of the gospel? My question is this. What if questions of morality are the first or primary point of encounter? My husband is a family medicine resident, and I teach the Creighton model. That's for NFP. Many of the people we encounter on a regular basis, who we should be witnessing to, probably haven't seen our uh, to have probably seen our faith beliefs witness firstly and primarily through the lens of morality. My husband doesn't prescribe contraception. This has led to some conflict in his workplace. Good on you, you're a courageous man. You are sacrificing income for the glory of the Lord. I love you. Although he has also had a lot of great conversations with coworkers because of this, etc. Um, I mostly preach to the choir because people are seeking out NFP, but do encounter people, including Catholics, who are skeptical about church teaching regarding contraception. In both our cases, we are necessarily leading with a specific point of morality. What advice do you have for people in a similar situation 
to witness to the fullness of the gospel through adherence to a moral teaching, or maybe despite this moral issue being one of the only things others may notice about our lived faith. Ooh. Yikes. Yeah, just because we're talking about contraception and how it's against our beliefs, how do we avoid letting our witness stop there? Thanks again. Yeah. So I, you know, honestly, I'm I'm so glad that we're we're addressing this again because it does kind of so you have this issue, right, where obviously not everyone is ready to handle the moral obligation of Christianity without the power of Christianity, meaning without that personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, so so we, we understand there's an issue there. But I think oftentimes we swing the pendulum to the off the complete opposite side and we say, well, it's not possible to express both at the same time. And I just don't believe that that's true. Okay, in, in my experience, I, I have learned how to communicate God's love, God's desire, God's passionate relationship uh, with man, with even in the, the the difficult moral arenas, and and I've been able to teach both at the same time, and even um, and even have seen that that's the only way to do it. Right, it's the only way to truly teach. Like, like let's use the the example of contraception. The only way you're really going to win. I mean, yeah, there, there are some philosophers who could win that conversation. There's some philosophers who could win that de- that debate. But for the vast majority of us, the only way that is understood is within the context of a loving God who created man and woman, who created sex, who created all these things. So I don't find any of it mutually exclusive. And I think when people say it's mutually exclusive, it's usually just too far of a pendulum swing to the other side. I understand it's difficult. It's a nuanced thing. But what do you what do you think? Go. Okay, I think that the Lord has shaped and formed you, both of you, to be wonderful evangelists at this point of contact. What we mean when we tell people don't lead with points of morality. I mean, you grasp it, right? Like, if they don't get the you know, don't start with the details. If they don't get the the main thing first. However, th- that's not. Uh, that's not ever going to be probably your situation in these fields. So the beautiful thing is you start where the Lord gives you. What we want people to avoid is going straight after controversial issues. Like when they're talking, you're at a family Thanksgiving dinner and someone mentions contraception and you feel like beating them over the head with the church, even though they're not Christian, beating them over the head with the church's teaching is evangelizing. That's what we're trying to pull people back from where it's it's a it's moralizing without attaching it to Christ so therefore it's not christian morality even though the content might be the same so my hope for you is that when people ask you why does your husband do this why do you do this the you have an answer ready for the hope that is within you and the hope right. that is within you is not well we believe it violates the natural law that is a that is an example of that reason but you just simply share jesus christ has changed my life. And I realize that even though our whole culture is saying just use each other, just agree to use each other for sex and deny the procreative powers because it's fun, it's pleasurable, and it it might bring you two closer together, um, 
you say we have chosen because of what Christ has done for us to view sex in a totally different and more holistic manner. Sex is an expression of not just the love we have for each other, but the very power that that love entails, which is procreative. And so right. we, you know, we abstain when it's time to abstain, and that builds up virtue within us, even though it's super difficult. But we engage in the marital act when it's appropriate, and it and it tries to. The beautiful thing about NFP is it is structurally built in to cause that to be a, an act of love making and right. not an act of mutual use. Right. You can still twist and distort it and whatever and view your spouse as a collection of body parts to be used. But uh, it structurally, pre- it, it is the most scaffolding you can have in this life to try to prevent you from doing that. And so I think, Annie, I think this is a wonderful thing. What, this is an avenue where uh, it's tied oh, yeah. to, like, like Christopher oh, yeah. West always talks about with Theology of the Body, this is an avenue to the big questions. Why get married at all? Why choose one right. person to have sex with? Why, why put yourself out in the vulnerability of parenthood? Why do right. this at all? And then this leads us to the God who loves us. I, I, I love, I love your faithful witness screams at us off this email. And so just continue to let this become the straight avenue. It doesn't matter that it starts with morality. Because it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, well, let me tell you why I observe this. Yeah, I think it's horrible for women to take pills that pollute their body and attack a system that's working appropriately and get it to work wrongly. It's the very opposite of medicine. Yeah, I believe there's a thing called the natural law, and the natural law states that I shouldn't be having a procreative act and kill its procreative power at the same time. But mostly the reason why I do this is have you met Christ and experienced his love for you in his life? Right, and it, it can become absolutely an avenue. Don't shy away from the moral entry point. What we're saying is, don't moralize and pretend like you're evangelizing. That's the, that's our warning. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think just uh, have have have. I mean, I hope you go away feeling good about the answer you got because you know, like you're doing awesome evangelization. Right? You know, the Catechism says there's there's an organic link between dogma and our spiritual life. So don't don't worry about just teaching on something like that. Uh, just keep teaching the truth. Jesus is the truth, right? So so don't worry about it. You're doing a great job. There, there's ways to do it correctly and incorrectly. I can tell already just from from who you are that you're, you're doing it correctly. So, yeah. so yeah. more power to you. And I know an OBGYN who considered himself Catholic, but he also distributed contraception. Um, he went on a retreat that changed his life and now he's a Eucharistic minister. My favorite thing about him is when he gives out, um, communion, he is trembling at the thought that he gets to be near the precious body and blood of Christ. And he now he's, (laughs) he's covered in tattoos and now all of his tattoos are Christian on his arms. He's like gone over them with all this stuff. He has completely, completely changed his entire life. And just think, like, even if you lose clients because you're not going to sell contraception to them, uh, no one today takes a stand that's going to cost them money or status. I know. I know. It becomes a sign of contradiction, and wouldn't you know it, so is our crucified Savior. So God bless you. Everyone pray for Annie and her husband especially in such a precarious place. Uh, When we come back, we are going to talk about five practical takeaways, but I have a favor to ask you 
before we uh, head out to commercial. Number one, more than anything else, if this podcast, maybe not this episode, but any podcast stood out to you that we've done here on the show, I want you to share it. This is the highest compliment you can ever pay to us is saying, I want my friends, family, whatever to see this. So share it on your social media, whatever it might be. That would be huge for us. And if you haven't already done it, number two is write a review on iTunes or Google Play. Um, we're now on Spotify. So if you have Spotify, we're going to be there. So please do that. We want to get the word out to Catholics everywhere about how to share the curriculum. All right, we'll be right back. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. And because these broken, imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds 2,000 years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed, where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, welcome back to our five practical takeaways. Again, share our podcast if it is meaningful for you, please, and also write us a review on iTunes or Google Play or any one of the places where the podcast is heard. It is huge for us. Um, so we're going to get started real quick. Uh, number one, two worlds collide. Just like our first email, Gabby, look for ways to bring the Holy Spirit into your daily job. And if you work for the church, please realize your coworkers need this too. Also, uh, your hobby. If you have a hobby that you're committed to or something like that, you like to go LARPing with the local folk, uh, <laughs> look at how you can bring the Holy Spirit into those opportunities. Nice. Number two. Uh, you know, I talked to you, I told you about our cycle that we use the parish, that uh, Kerygma, Catechesis, and Conquer. I want you to look at local Catholic events, right? Um, doesn't have to just be your parish, but just in your diocese and make yourself a little track there, a little cycle, discipleship cycle there. Look for something in each of those uh, different categories, a Kerygma event, maybe something encounter, adoration, maybe a good speaker, something, you know, an evangelist is coming to town, maybe a retreat or something like that. Uh, then catechesis, you know, learn something about your faith. Maybe join a book study, Bible study, go hear a moral speaker or something like that. And then finally, uh, you know, conquer, get out there and let the kingdom of God fill the cup of your heart overflow into the world. Right. So maybe go out to do some praying in front of the abortion clinic, maybe, uh, go to the soup kitchen, do something, uh, some work of mercy, uh, out there so that the kingdom can be manifest through that. Awesome. Number three, five-minute exercise. Hop onto YouTube and try to find videos that fall into these categories of kerygma, catechesis, and conquer. 
And then maybe send them out, especially if you find that they're very appropriate. Um, Ascension Presents has some really good videos that might be able to hit uh, one of these specific areas and just blast them out or organize them. If you work for a church, it's so great to put these in emails going out to your RCIA folks or something like that. So there's a lot of great stuff out there for you. Number four, uh, we got our intercessory prayer uh, step each week. And we talked today about that email from Annie, whose husband is a, is works in family medicine, doesn't prescribe contraception. This is a tough situation, yep, right? Yep. Catholics are are truly strangers and sojourners in this world, right? Uh, and it's getting more increasingly more hostile. So I, I just ask you, like every day of this week, if you would say one Hail Mary, join me saying one Hail Mary every day this week for those uh, OBGYNs, nurses, family medicine doctors, all those people who are trying to live the Catholic faith in a world that so strongly rejects it. Siri, set a reminder every day to pray a Hail Mary at 9.30 a.m. I'm impressed, Gilmer. I'll forget it if I don't. Okay, added. There it is. Uh, just so you know, Siri has an Australian accent on my phone. Whoopsie. Uh, number five and the last one, introverted ways to evangelize. Number one, do it online. Head over to Brandon Vaught's Strange Notions and read um, the stuff that they have out there. It's great. It's a conversation between atheists and Catholics. Um, there's a wonderful podcast called the Classical Theism Podcast. I'm on there on one of the episodes on evangelizing atheists, but they have tons of content that you can take and share. It is a wonderful podcast. If you're into people who want to hear longer arguments or whatever, um, Matt Frad has on Pints with Aquinas, he constantly has excellent stuff that is easy to share online. So I would just say if you're super introverted and you hate large crowds, do your work online. Start a blog, share it out on your social feed. It'll be awesome. All right. This has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. And I think we all realize that Dave Van Vickle is indeed the one who stole my ego. You're weird. I know. Goodbye. You're God bless you all. Adios. Adios.